0: Hello, I'm Charlie Taylor, and uh, we're here today on podcast to continue our Monday Bible study because uh, we have been uh, temporarily put on the sidelines, our live broadcast at the church, because of the coronavirus, who everybody and their brother knows about at this point in time. And uh, right now, the coronavirus has posed a... Unsolvable problem, I guess is the best way I could describe it, that nobody knows what, what to do with, and all they can do is try to delay it. Uh, and so, have a little movie clip for you that kind of shows uh, how people try to be nonchalant and act like, you know, this is not a problem, but they uh, really have great fear about it. So, uh, here we go from the old TV show Cheers. <laughs> How's the job search going? I got something, Sam, but I'm not crazy about it. I'm a janitor at a biology lab where they do DNA experiments, making mutant viruses and stuff. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good job to me. I don't know. It makes me a little nervous. You know, all that weird stuff floating around. Oh, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, don't yeah. sweat it. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, they handle yeah. all that yeah. stuff. I that, yeah, it. I guess you're right. Must be getting a little paranoid, huh? <laughs> yeah. See you later. Catch hey, up. You know, I feel better already. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care, Chuck. Yeah, so uh, there you have it. We're all f- fearful of, of what this thing is. We, we don't know what to do about it. So it's uh, one of those things in life I call a crisis situation. I call it an unsolvable problem. We've all had them. What do we do when we have this kind of uh, a problem that comes into our life? And uh, I've been teaching a series on the Red Sea Rules, this little red book here written by Robert J. Morgan. I heartily recommend it. Uh, it's really great. I, I keep a case of them in my trunk because every time I'm meeting with somebody or the, and they begin to tell me their problems or something, the easiest thing for me to do is pull one of these out and give it to them because that's what this is about. The Red Sea Rules are 10 principles that um, the author has put together and derived from the Red Sea story in Exodus 14. So if you took your Bible out and you turned to Exodus 14, Uh, you'd find uh, the nation of Israel, the people, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, and now uh, God is freeing them. And yet, uh, you can imagine uh, the scope of this situation in that the text says in in Exodus chapter 12 that there were 600,000 adult males uh, and also women and children. And so earlier in the book, we're told about how prolific the birth rate had been. So I think it'd be safe to put a three or four to one ratio of women and children to men to uh, the, the numbers here. And you come up with about three million people. So think of the, the how difficult it would be to pick up 3 million people all of a sudden. It would be like moving out the whole city of Dallas, just one day picking up and everybody leave and go on a journey together, walking. Um, But that's what happened in in, uh, in the book of Exodus. And so uh, the the scope of this thing is much bigger than the old Charlton Heston movie uh, led us to believe. It, It was really a massive movement of people. Uh, and how did they know where to go? God uh, led them with a pillar of cloud. He had His glory in the cloud leading them where He wanted them to go. The logical place for them to go would be down the coast road. That's a direct line to the promised land that He had uh, uh, promised to give them. And so you'd think He'd go down the coast road. There's cities there, there's food, there's water, it's a pavement to walk on. But no, God led them out into the wilderness. Uh, they went, instead of going due east, they went south, and uh, they wandered around for a while. And uh, after a while, a Pharaoh's scouts, you know, his spies were out there watching them, and um, they reported back, and, he's, and they said, you know, they don't know where they're going. They're, they're out there lost. They, they have, they're helpless. And Pharaoh had a change of mind. He, he decided instead of letting them go, which he had made that decision to do earlier in the book because God had uh, brought the plagues of Egypt upon him uh, to, to really force him to do it. But now Pharaoh has a change of mind. He sees them out there helpless. And so he calls his army together, sends them out, uh, going to drag them back into slavery again. Uh, and so in Exodus 14... Uh, we see that God leads the children of Israel, these three million people, to the Red Sea and has them camp there, and uh, on their right is probably mountains, and on their left mountains, and, and in front of them is the deep Red Sea that looks uncrossable to the naked eye, and then when they turn around behind them, they've got Pharaoh's army with all of his iron chariots. Looks like they're going to completely destroy uh, the nation, the children of Israel, or uh, at the very best, drag them back into slavery. So again, what do you do? What, what did they do when they had this unsolvable problem? And that's what this book is about. Uh, ten principles that the author has has uh, written up in a chapter for each one. Ten principles. Uh, makes a great devotional in the mornings, by the way. But ten principles that go by when you find yourself in a real problem situation. And I think uh, that should be easy for us to apply to our own lives, because I really don't know anybody that hasn't had a crisis situation. If they live long enough, they're gonna have it. It's gonna happen to them. And so what do you do? Uh, What steps do you take when you face a crisis? So let me just review what we've already uh, gone through in the past uh, four weeks, the principles of the Red Sea Rules. Number one, was realize God means for you to be exactly where you are. God is sovereignly in control of the situation. Now that's hard for us to imagine because if it's a really difficult problem, the thing that enters your mind, if, if you're like me, is what have I done to deserve this? Why would God allow this? If there's a God in heaven, why doesn't he prevent this or get me out of it? Uh, but the, the truth is, uh, and you can see this in every biblical story. God, uh, although he is in complete control, he allows us to be in our situation for reasons known only to himself. He knows what he's doing. Uh, you have to realize and always have it in your mind that God is sovereignly controlled control and God loves you. When you put those two together, even when you're in a bad situation, uh, it makes it easier to... Uh, imagine that what's going on could possibly turn out for good, but in all the Bible stories, and I've found in my life as well as I look back, uh, that is the case. God somehow reveals himself. He somehow builds my character up. Every time I go through one of these great tests of my faith, uh, I see that God uh, has done something good in my life, and like I say, literally every biblical character in the Bible had multiple trials, multiple crisis situations like this that built their faith up, that improved their character, that taught them perseverance, that gave them hope for even greater things in the future. Abraham, uh, God called him to go to Canaan, a land he'd never been to before. He goes to Canaan. They're having a, <laughs> a starvation going on there. There's no food there at all. Uh, Jacob, his grandson, uh, he goes up to see Uncle Laban, and next thing you know, he's there for 20 years serving Uncle Laban, and he's cheated multiple times over and over and over during those 20 years. Uncle Laban deceives him and cheats him. Uh, Joseph, his son, uh, he is grabbed up by his brothers who are jealous of him, thrown, thrown into a pit, beat up, and then they sell him into slavery, And then if that's not bad enough, he ends up a slave in Egypt and Potiphar's wife tells a lie about him, which puts him in a dungeon for who knows how long, eight to ten years. Uh, And of course, all of those stories end up being brought together for good by the Lord. Somehow, providentially, God is at work in bringing even those difficult situations, uh, bringing good out of them. And you can, again, go through every uh, biblical character and you'll see it. So God is in control. It's hard to imagine that God would allow these evil things. Uh, And yet, the fact is, God is going to somehow, in eternity, for sure, bring about good in every situation. And he's in sovereign control. And if we know that, then it makes it easier to stomach. Okay, God's doing something here. I may not know what it is, I haven't figured it out yet, but the fact that God is doing something here, He's in control, and that I know that He loves me, leads me to believe, we're going to work this out. This is going to have a good ending. This is going to end well. The second Red Sea rule, or second principle, that you can derive from the story in Exodus 14, is be more concerned for God's glory than for your own relief. Naturally, we're all selfish in a way, and we all want to know how you're going to get me out of this or how I'm going to come out of this alive. Uh, But if we have the perspective that's really uh, true that God should get the glory for every uh, situation that we find ourselves in, for the answer of every situation we find ourselves in, then we'll have an attitude adjustment, you might say. Uh, And when you begin to think that way, how can God be glorified in this situation? Uh, How can I make him look good uh, through solving this problem, no matter how long it takes? So your activities, how you go about solving this, the faith that you show to the people around you, is really going to be a great witness uh, to um, how God is involved and God is uh, a loving God who's going to take care of us no matter what happens. So we want God to look good, we want God to be glorified as we go about solving whatever problem uh, we have. So when we ask, how can I get out of this, that's really the wrong question. The right question is, how can God be glorified? That's what we need to uh, have as our goal. We're going to solve this problem in a way that God will be glorified. And by the way. That's the purpose statement throughout the book of Exodus. Everything that happens, you know, the purpose statement is put in there so that God might be glorified or so that they might know that there was one true God in heaven, the God of Israel. The third principle, third Red Sea rule, is that know that this is part of spiritual warfare. There's something bigger going on behind the scenes. Pharaoh in a sense represents the adversary of God these are God's people and the adversary of God is trying to prevent them from leaving and going into the promised land trying to prevent God's program from progressing so if we know that that there's something bigger going on that we're just kind of like actors in that play then we realize that we're on the right side and we realize that we want to stay on the right side and do the right thing throughout this situation. So uh, we realize that there's spiritual warfare going on here. There's something bigger. There's a spiritual realm out there that we, we may not be aware of, but it's there. And our job is to keep our eyes on the Lord. So there's something bigger going on, but what we want to do through, through this Our part in this play, this spiritual warfare, is to keep our eyes on the Lord, be completely dependent on Him, focus on Him and what He's doing, what His program is. The fourth principle that that he has in the book is simple prayer, pray. Uh, Nothing can put you on your knees and make you pray harder than a crisis situation that is cleverly disguised as an unsolvable problem. When, When Israel... Uh, looked to their front, they saw the Red Sea, and to the sides they saw the wilderness, nowhere to go, and behind them, as they turned around, was what? Pharaoh's army, with all those chariots, with those big cool wheels that had the, the blades on them that would churn people up. So it, it looked pretty bad. There's only one place to look if, after you've looked at those uh, directions, and that's up. And so we look up, uh, in a sense, in prayer uh, when we're in these situations, uh, and sometimes, uh, as they did, you only have two, two options. One is to panic. You panic in these situations. You even give up. They were getting ready to surrender, frankly, until Moses intervened and said, Wait a minute, stop uh, and cry out to the Lord. And so Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for relief. And um, so you can either panic or you can pray. Uh, And they prayed uh, through Moses' direction. But their inclination was to panic and surrender to the Egyptian army. No. uh, Pray. Don't panic. Don't give up. uh, Don't quit. Pray to the Lord in trust. Um, So they cried out to the Lord. And keep in mind, God requires communication. And what is that about? Why does God value prayer, our prayer so much? Because God created us to have a personal relationship with him. You can find that in the creation account in in, uh, Genesis chapter 2. God created, the last thing God created was the human race. And and we're told that uh, we were created in his image. In his his image. And part of that image is that uh, God wants a personal relationship in which we communicate with him. And so God requires, a, requires prayer and wants us to be talking to him. And uh, always keep in mind when you pray uh, that prayer is the sound that faith makes. So you are expressing your faith in the living God when you pray to him. You're, you're depending on him. You're asking him to intervene. You're asking him for his wisdom or his help in some way. And so prayer is the sound that faith makes. And so today's lesson, uh, we're going to look at uh, Red Sea rule number five and six, five being stay calm and confident. Know that God's doing something and give God time to work. Uh, Don't quit. Don't surrender like they were getting ready to do at the Red Sea, but give God time to work. Pray about it. uh, Be persevering in your prayer constantly praying, but be calm and confident knowing that God's going to do something and you just have to give him time to do it. We want it done right now, but it's going to be done in God's timing, okay? So stay calm and confident and give God time to work. The sixth Red Sea Rule, the sixth principle from uh, this story is is my favorite one, and uh, I can remember uh, the crisis situations that how much this helped me. Uh, get through them. Just take the next logical step by faith. Uh, un- an unsolvable problem. What are you going to do? And uh, you'll find that if you live day to day and you just try to do something, some logical thing every day, uh, sooner or later the, the problem gets solved. Uh, and but what can you do today? Some little thing that you can do today, is what you need to focus on. If that just means getting organized, then that's good enough. Just get organized or just sort out all the possibilities that that you could do. But take the next logical step and live um, day to day. So uh, lesson five, stay calm and give God time to work. All through the scriptures, uh, we read uh, the same message. It's it's in uh, many of the Psalms. Uh, In Psalm 46.10, the psalmist says, Be still, be still, and let God solve this problem for you. Wait on the Lord, it says literally. Patiently wait on the Lord. Uh, Psalm 37 has the same message. Uh, Wait patiently for God to do something. Don't panic. Don't surrender. Uh, In the New Testament, Romans 12.19, the Apostle Paul writes, Uh, When you want to do something, when someone sins against you or hurts you in some way, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to fight back. Uh, He says, don't sin in return. Don't don't sin in kind, you might say. Instead, leave room for God. Let, Let him take care of the situation. Let God seek the retribution that you think you need. There will be a judgment day, if not sooner, certainly later, Uh, and so let him take care of this. I can't solve all those problems. I can't pay back all those people that that deserve it. i got to leave room for God. Um, And, of course, usually the Red Sea-type problems, the unsolvable problems, uh, are not solvable by me, literally. Uh, And so I can't solve them, but I know that God can. Ephesians 3.20, Paul wrote, God is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we expect. Uh, And so God can solve the problems that we can't solve. We just have to wait patiently and, as we said, uh, do something every day according to what you can do, but know that God's going to eventually take care of it. But you've got to be calm in the situation. So commit your Red Sea situations to him, trust in him, and wait for him to work. It's going to happen, I promise you. Uh, Think back, uh, when I think back like 20 years ago, I know I was praying about something. I know I had some problems, but I can't remember what they were. You know why? Because they were solved. And I'm sure you can do the very same thing. Uh, And so we see uh, in repetition, Uh, in the book of Exodus, as they go through these problems that they have, and you see it all through the Bible, the phrase, fear not, or do not be anxious, some version of the same thing. Uh, I count, or he says in the book, that that phrase 107 times in the Old Testament, fear not. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, I found 43 times uh, that we're told to fear not. And I think the reason it's so repetitious because this means it's not a it's not uh, it means it's very common. It's not uncommon. It's it, it it's in everybody's life to have these kind of problems, um, and uh, the definition of stand still when you're in these problems, or wait, or fear not, is is don't panic, don't give up, don't surrender. So. Naturally, the problem we have then is waiting and being patient. It's a timing issue, but you can do it if you believe that God's involved. Uh, it's It runs against our proactive self. We want to get things done in a hurry, but but trust me, uh, you've got to wait and be patient. God's doing something, but it's going to be in his own time. He's in control. So be still and know that God is in control. Uh The Exodus 14 situation gave every reason for them to have these emotions. They cried out to the Lord, uh, but uh, it turns out God was in control, and God did have the solution, and God got them out of this terrible problem. They were facing slaughter. Uh, they, They told Moses, they said, Did you bring us out here because there's no graves in Egypt? Did you bring us out here to die here instead of where we could have died at our homes there in Egypt? Uh, and so they were ready to give up. They, they were in a panic mode, um, and, and that's what happens. That, that's the natural reaction to these crisis situations. Therefore, we've got to get a grip, uh, we've got to get under control, and we've got to move from fear to faith. That's what we've got to do, and as hard as it might be, you've got to move from fear to faith. God will, as the text says in Exodus 14, God will fight for you. If you read uh, Exodus 14, 14, it says, Stand still, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall uh, hold your peace. Or While you keep silent and you watch, as you don't panic, uh, just sit here and watch and see what God does. And so we know in the situation, not only did God part the Red Sea so they could cross over, Uh, on dry land. But when Pharaoh's army tried to follow them to wipe them out, uh, God brought the sea back down on them. So in that sense, God definitely did fight for them. So uh, God's word is, uh, I am there for you, but you've got to get a grip and you've got to live through this by faith. And in your Red Sea experience, when all is said and done, Uh, there's no more activity available and there's nothing else for you to do, you have no solution to the problem, then you've got to trust God with the impossible and you leave room for him to work. So God will fight for you. Um, In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we're told uh, Moses gets his last shot at preaching uh, to the nation of Israel, to the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and he tells them in Deuteronomy 1, he said, God has gone before you throughout this voyage, and he will continue to fight for you uh, as you go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 3, do not fear, for the Lord himself fights for you. Deuteronomy 31, be of good courage, for the Lord gives, goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. So, Uh, we can rest assured from the Word of God that God uh, knows what you're going through and he's got a plan to deliver you in the end. So uh, Red Sea Rule number six, principle number six, uh, we see uh, in Exodus 14, 15, the children of Israel were told to go forward. So now that he's told them to wait and watch what he does, he said, you still, that doesn't mean to just do nothing. When you have a crisis situation, the Bible's not saying stay at home under the covers. It is saying, you know, uh, don't panic, don't give up. And in Exodus fourteen fifteen, he says, tell the children of Israel to go forward. So what we're saying is, in the book, take the next logical step by faith, Red Sea Rule number six. And so we can do something every day to uh, solve this problem. Uh, go as far as you can, expecting God to open up the rest of the way. Step by step, day by day, God led them forward, fed them, watered them. And then in Psalm 42:8 uh, we read, day by day, the Lord pours out his love upon me. God is always there. He always wants to help you. He always loves you. Never lose sight of that. Uh, and when, whenever you don't know what to do in total, you don't know the total way to solve this problem, just do what comes next. There's got to be something, some little thing you can do every single day. Small plotting steps are important in finding God's will, even if it's just getting, like I said, organized. Uh, you, you can do something every day, and then all that builds up over time uh, until the problem is solved. Get off uh, dead center and figure the next step. I'll give you a good example, F- your finances. I mean, how many people out there um, have big credit card debt and, and all kinds of financial issues? Uh, they, their budget is definitely not balanced. Uh, they spend too much money. Step one would be to cancel your credit cards. You're not gonna get out of debt real quick, but the, the first step you could take is to cancel your credit cards. And then you begin to work on your budget. Statistics clearly show people spend much less with cash than they do credit cards, uh, and so that's just one example. And it's really important uh, at the, the don't fear, because that really messes up your thinking. It's hard to think logically. It's hard to think of a solution when you're scared to death. And so Jesus told his uh, apostles in Matthew 6:34. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Live for today. Live one day at a time. Do what you can do today. So trust God for guidance in small increments. And when you can't see far into the future, do what lies clearly at hand. Do what you can do today and trust God for guidance in these small increments. And maybe uh, sometimes it's only, as I said, just to get organized. But never to panic or (laughs) or give up, or surrender. So when you don't know what to do, just do something small that comes next. Go forward knowing that God is with you. Uh, and I've got uh, a 10, uh, as we close here, uh, principles that I want to share with you that have to do with this sense that God is with you, that God is sovereign in control, God knows what you're going through, and God loves you. Because when you think, well, if God is with me, I'll, I'll just quote Gideon, if you ever heard of the 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 great Bible character Gideon, what did he say when the angel said, God's going to help you, God is with you? And Gideon said, well, if he's with me, why has this happened to me? That's the natural reaction. So what does exactly that mean, that God is with you? You're in a terrible situation, crisis situation. Number one, don't mistake time for eternity. God may not seem to be with us in the short run, but he's definitely there for you in the long run. Secondly, don't mistake the physical material for the spiritual. Uh, God is with us spiritually, not necessarily materially. He may not want us to be super rich or whatever, uh, but he definitely is with us spiritually to work out uh, the situations that we have, Uh, and his purpose may be a, a greater revealing of himself to you. Thirdly, God has an infinite eternal perspective as opposed to our finite perspective. God sees the big picture. We just uh, see like this, you know. We don't see the whole thing, but God sees the big picture. Uh, And fourthly, God has a ministry to us in the midst of trouble. He may not remove us from the trouble, but he's there with us in the midst of us, and he's going to minister to us. He's going to uh, refine us. He's going to build us up. He's going to uh, build our character. And fifthly, uh, one of the favorite passages about this situation uh, that people go to about the providence of God being with you, Romans 8.28 says, um, God is there for you, and he's going to bring good out of every situation. And then he defines what good is in Romans 8:29, which is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that's primarily what God's concern is, is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, six, God uses trouble to humble us so we can be of service. Uh, God is opposed to the proud. So when you have a whole lot of pride in yourself, and, oh, I'm doing this, this is all about me, Uh, God finds it necessary sometimes to humble us, to bring us down to earth, so that he can use us in his service. Uh, Number seven, we need to redefine success. Uh, We think of success as, you know, four houses and eight cars and airplanes and boats and the whole deal. That's the way the world defines it uh, in accordance to materialistic standards. But in God's view, His definition is success is obedience by faith. Obedience by faith, it's developing that relationship with him that we need in in the spiritual realm. Uh, And he says in Hebrews 11, the most successful people, uh, in God's view, are the people that you can find in Romans 11, each one of them was told something amazing by God that would be very hard to believe, but they acted upon it in faith, and God rewarded their faith. Uh, obvious uh, example is Noah. Noah was told to build an ark because there's going to be a great flood. There'd never even been a flood anywhere. He didn't even know what that was. And why would somebody build this giant boat? They believe Noah and his family believe God. That's the only reason they would do it. And God rewarded his belief. Uh, so uh, number eight, God is with you to reveal himself, not you. Uh, we we want to be built up. We, we are all great self-promoters, but God is there with you to reveal himself and to reveal that he is there with you and that he's the answer to all your problems. Moses was just a medium, uh, and we are just ambassadors. We're stewards for the Lord, uh, not ourselves. And lastly, let me say... Uh, In uh, Isaiah's prophecy about the names of the Christ who would come, he said he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so Emmanuel, or God is with us, Jesus Christ, is the ultimate answer to this dilemma about uh, God is with you. You know, if he's with me, why am I going through this? Uh, And people say, why didn't God do something? He has done something. He's done the ultimate thing which is bring Jesus Christ into the world so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have eternal life in glory with him. Amen? Amen. Thank you.